Amen. You can grab a seat. So glad you're with us. Uh, Happy New Year. I know it's like an imaginary thing or whatever, but we really made it around the sun one more time. It seems important. And as we get going here, I'm going to introduce what um, we feel like kind of rises to the importance of uh, capturing everybody's attention. So we say it's a new year. Everybody in that moment has kind of a moment where they're ready to refocus. You're not in the middle of something in the same way that you are in August. You, you have a little bit more of an eyes open on, is there something that needs to change? And while you're evaluating that, it's kind of a, an, a strike while the iron is hot moment for leadership because we want to then tell you lots of things that should change <laughs> all at once. Uh, it's more a dizzying experience of figuring out which of those things we need to most emphasize. And for Hope Church, we're going to take it back to the basics, back to the idea of what Christianity is founded on. And I think, and today we're going to think mostly about this piece of it, is a little bit difficult for the modern person to to jump into. Christianity, and you don't have to like this, but it's true, is all about relationships. Here's what Jesus says. All of the law and the prophets can be put into. It says in Matthew 22, this is towards the end of the gospel. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is going to the cross But the Pharisees and the Sadducees don't know that yet. They would love to kill him, but they haven't gotten there. And so in the meantime, they're just trying to take down his ministry by coming at him with hard questions. In verse 34 of Matthew 22, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? It's kind of a sticky question. You're being asked to put one thing above another because you say, well, don't commit adultery. And they're like, so murder's not a big deal, right? You can see how it could be a little bit of a trap. But listen to what Jesus says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, all the law and the prophets, everything God has revealed to this point, all of that Old Testament, all the stuff that Moses said, you can condense all of it into two commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity is all about relationships. It can all be boiled down to your relationship to God first, and then your relationship to people second. So we're going to spend the first three weeks of Hope Church in the new year thinking about our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, and then our relationship to people beyond these walls. But we're going to start that new series by thinking about some of the reason that, I don't know, we're not always fighting to find new relationships. Here's my thought. If you're one of those people who still makes resolutions for the year, how many of the resolutions did you make before you got to any of them that had to do with making new relationships? I mean, you could put a ton of fitness stuff, a ton of finance stuff, maybe a ton of even family stuff, things you want to do better with the kids or whatever. 
How long did it take you down before you wrote something about trying to make new friends? Trying to invite new people into your world. I mean, I understand that some people are introverted and some people are extroverted. And for the introverted people, that just sounds like, you know, torture. But, but if we're commanded to love like this, isn't it interesting that I don't know how often for us we jump right into that idea of trying to find new people to love, trying to find new people to expand our world out to. That, I think we find it kind of difficult. And if I'm trying to understand why I find it difficult, if I understand biblically some of the things that God gives us that, that maybe would be a diagnosis of why we find it difficult, I see two and then a third one that jump out. One, we really hate to need people. We hate to need people. Two, man, it is really hard to have people in your life. You invite a friend into your life, you now have a new person that you have to care for. You have a new person that you have to be responsible for to make sure that they had a, a happy New Year's text with the um, explosions, that the little fireworks that go off. Did you remember to send that to everybody? I didn't. So I just don't send it to anybody and hope that everybody is just only marginally upset with me. When you get a new person in your life, man, it's hard because you now have to have that person in your life. And then there's this third one of asking yourself, well, you know, are they really going to want me? So let's think about it. One, two, three. For one, I do think it's very difficult for us to need other people, to invite people into our relationships, into our life. That would be real relationships, loving relationships where you need them and they need you. This was illustrated to me in a big way uh, this past week. So Rachel and I took the kids, and I know I have a perfect Utah accent, so you would be surprised by this, but I'm actually from Tennessee. And in Tennessee, uh, we, you know, we were trying to travel to see her parents. Rachel's family is still there in Tennessee. So on Christmas Day, and we've done this for eight years, we fly from Salt Lake to Tennessee. We usually use Southwest, and we connect somewhere. Uh, and if you read the headlines at all this past week, you might already know where this is going. Uh, but we got to the airport. Everybody's happy. You know, it's Christmas Day. It's usually a festive experience at the airport. There's fewer people total. The people that are there are wearing, like, you know, Santa hats and stuff. It's fun-ish, you know, for the airport. It's fun. And so we go, and they start slowly delaying our flight. It ends up getting delayed like an hour and a half. But Fortunately, our connection in Austin was also getting delayed. No big deal. We finally get on the plane. We finally get to Austin. It's delayed. It's delayed. No problem. We found a burger place. We had dinner. And then it gets canceled. And then not only is the flight canceled, but everything's canceled. All the flights are canceled. All the flights that day are canceled, and you can't get a hold of anybody to talk about maybe flying out the next day. So in that moment... We become stranded in Austin, Texas on Christmas Day. So we got to figure out what to do, right? And there's a moment, uh, maybe an hour later, when I'm one hour into a two-hour line to try and see the ticketing agent. I've got Southwest on the phone. Of course, I don't. I've got a um, playing of classical music on the phone, pretending like I'm eventually going to talk to somebody, and they all know that nobody's going to answer, and I'm just kind of hoping that maybe somebody will answer. So I'm on the phone for an hour and a half. I'm in this line for an hour and a half of a two-hour line. You know, there's not moving really, but eventually, you know, it moves a little bit, and you're hoping that you're going to finally get to talk to the ticket person. And I'm just having it blown into my eyeballs how little control I have 
in the world. That I have this illusion of control because a lot of systems that I'm totally dependent on are usually pretty efficient systems. And so they let you pretend like you're in control because you got in your car and drove to the airport and got on your plane where you flew across the country to see your family and everything feels so easy until it's not. And then what happens next? It felt like I was on the Titanic because it was going down. And in fact, the reason I thought about that analogy is because as we were in line, and I'm on the phone here, I'm looking there, I'm trying not to see my crying children over here, a lady started playing violin just in the airport terminal. No idea why that's legal. I was furious by that, too. Her child was, like, dancing next to her as the woman played the violin, and people were like, oh, and all I could think was, please, you know, because it's like music here and crying here and then this lady behind me. And it was very much like the Titanic as it goes down in James Cameron's movie and that little quartet of men decide to just, you know, play their way down. Uh, that's what it felt like. And, and it, it helped me to realize, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not this independent mover in the world. I'm not this guy that's got these resources and got this intelligence and this savvy and that has figured out how to beat a system. At the end of the day, you stand in line with everybody else. Eventually, if you're able to speak to the ticketing agent, you're at her mercy and she's at the mercy of this whole system that has just collapsed. And it was really cool because I finally got to talk to her and I'm dealing with all this stuff internally of, am I angry or am I just trying to get out of here? Do I need to express my displeasure in the moment? Or is that totally going to cut her off to me and I, and I need to just instead be super happy like this isn't, this isn't a big deal. This is a fun thing maybe even. And, and please help me. I'm a fun guy. <laughs> and of course, I get up there intending to be a fun guy and it lasts like 90 parts of one second. You know, it wasn't even a full second. And I immediately was like, why is this? You know, and the poor woman, uh, the ticket agent, she had been there on Christmas Day since 6 a.m. It was now 10 p.m. She had been helping people all day, trying to get them where they needed to go for Christmas. And can I tell you, even when I could not really keep my patients together and it was cracking, she was still patient with me. Just a stranger. And I realized how much I need her, and she doesn't need me. And yet, she was still kind towards me. Just the total kindness of a total stranger. Then, you know, we get a hotel in Austin. We're trying to figure out what to do next morning. And my mother called uh, somebody that we had known from church. Once upon a time, long ago, now lives in Austin. And they were out of town, but they wanted us to know that we could use their house if we needed it. You know what that made me think of? In Mark 10, Jesus is meeting this rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He tries to get Jesus to tell him that he's awesome. Jesus instead says, okay, here's what you need to do to be righteous. The guy goes away sad. The disciples are blown away because how, how could this rich guy not get into heaven? Obviously, he's the greatest thing ever. He can do whatever he wants. Surely God's impressed with him. And if he's not impressed with him, what, what chance do they have? Well, maybe instead the, the, the standard is how much did you give up? And so Peter says, see, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. And then Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers, sisters or mother, father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel 
who will not also receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. I got to watch that verse happen. I wasn't being persecuted. I'm just a holiday maker. But here the church stood up and said, here's a house. You want a house? It's my house, but really it's God's house if you need it. I mean, we get to watch that happen with the other community within Hope Church all the time. They're so kind to us. We get to be kind in some small ways to them. They're so kind with each other. As we get to know each other within the church, we are able to care for one another well. I mean, there's going to be stuff that comes up today, that comes up this evening. I just hope we hear about it. People stranded one place, people um, in a hard way, they can't figure out exactly how to get groceries. They're eating peanut butter crackers for dinner tonight. Well, I hope that they let us know and that we hear about it because we are going to need each other. And we hate to need each other. But why do we hate to need each other? Well, it's exactly what happened in the first part of this parable. When Jesus tells them about how they're going to receive a hundredfold in this time and in the age to come, eternal life, he tells them that right after the rich young ruler leaves. Why does the rich young ruler leave? He leaves Jesus because he could not accept a religion where he was a beggar. That's, that's what Jesus told him. He said, go sell everything you have and then you come follow me. I'll be all you have, but I'll be enough. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it. He understood relationships where he gave to other people. He understood relationships where he could demand things of other people. I kind of think he expected that from Jesus. That he was going to be able to come up to Jesus and tell him how righteous he was, and Jesus was going to have to say, well, of course, you're definitely in the kingdom of heaven. But what is it like to have to come to somebody and ask for something? You and I have relationships, lots of them, where things are, feel even. We have relationships where we can demand things of other people. I love, mostly, when I can demand things of other people and, and we're both aware that I have that power dynamic and so I can be really polite about it because I don't have to be mean because I've like totally won. That's my preferred relationship with other people. I don't want to be a beggar. I don't want to have to say please and know that they could say no. But here's what Jesus is describing. He's describing a real relationship with a real humility that before God realizes that we need a forgiveness, we need a new righteousness, we need a total unmaking of this self-sufficiency that we have in our heads. Oh, we hate to need other people, but that's exactly what humility teaches us. I mean, you think about the Titanic. The Titanic represented the greatest technological advancements to that day. They had this beautiful, gigantic, um, state-of-the-art, futuristic ocean liner that was going to go from England to New York. And on its maiden voyage, it cracks. It's a very Tower of Babel moment. I don't want to open up the hearts of the people who made it or the people who talked about it. I have no idea. But they said, here is something that's invincible. If you got a ticket on this thing, you're golden because you have earned your way into something impenetrable. But of course not. 
James helps us with that kind of pride when he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Do you see the problem with the fact that we hate to need other people? Are you planning your year in this James fashion? Maybe you are. Some of us are too lazy to have started planning yet, but we plan to plan in that way to say, all right, what are the resources coming in? What are we going to do with them? What kind of fabulous vacation do we want to take? Not knowing that our life is a vapor. What, what is your life? You think tomorrow and today you have these plans that are going to happen, but, but you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Your plan needs to be to sit at the foot of Jesus, trusting in that relationship. Your, your plan needs to be His plan, which is for you to invest in all these relationships with other people. Man, we hate to need those relationships, but He commands us that we have to. The reason that we hate to is often pride, but it can also be that it's just hard to have those relationships. Man, how hard was it to have Christmas parties this year? I don't know if you try to do it. We try to do it twice. We try to do it with our community group. We try to do it with some of the lead team here at Hope Church. It was impossible. Why was it impossible? Because people kept getting sick. And then other people have kids. And of course, kids are always sick. And for everybody's families and kids to not be sick simultaneous on a like day where you could actually host people, impossible. Impossible. Well, why? It's so difficult to be around other people. Everybody is always bringing some kind of gunk into your life, whether it's actual flu or it's just the need to, to deal with that person's personality, the need to deal with that person's need. I, I don't know how often we do this. I think we have kind of built a lot of our social structure around keeping things light. And the reason that we want to keep things light is because I don't want to need to be needed and I don't want you to need me. Let's just keep this on the surface. And if you ever run out of all of your money, let's talk. It's very difficult for us to jump into somebody else's world. It's very difficult for us to jump into somebody else's world when it means that it's going to hurt us. But I, I, I want to caution you there too. We're talking about the, the essence of Christianity being relationships. The essence of Christianity is relationships despite the fact that it's very painful to be in these relationships. Not only talking about the humility that's required to see your relationship to God and your dependence on Him and your need for other people as well, I'm also talking about the model that we have with Christ. For Him to make a relationship with us, He did have to catch our cold. He did have to be with the plague patients and receive the plague. For Jesus to be our friend, for Jesus to have a close relationship to us, He had to sit with us knowing that we have the stomach bug and he's going to get it. He's modeling something for us. We call it incarnation. And you and I do not have the ability to die for the sin of the world. That's what Jesus did. He did it once for all, and that's why we worship him. And yet, his example of love towards us, his example of sacrifice and stepping into somebody else's life, even if it's really hard, 
was modeled, not just by him, but with, with other people too in the New Testament who are also our leaders. I want you to think for a second about Paul. Paul the apostle, he's a follower of Jesus. He does what Jesus tells him to do. He's this incredible preacher. He's this incredible church planter. Everybody's very impressed by his theological mind. I mean, try to read Romans this afternoon. But his example to us was not just an example of brilliance or of righteousness or of passion. His example to us was an example of suffering with other people so that they can be blessed. His example to us includes many things like him going into Philippi, being arrested, being put in jail, and allowing himself in jail to be stretched out on a rack and beaten and then left in jail overnight. Now, we know by the end of the story that what he did, he, he could have done earlier. So he gets beaten, he gets thrown in jail, and he's sitting there. He's singing hymns with Silas as they've been you know, opened up by the whip. And they're in this jail in Philippi. And the next morning, when they come to send him out of the city, they say, no, 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 you're not going to send us out of the city. You, we are Roman citizens that are uncondemned that you have beaten. What you have done is a big deal and is illegal. And then the leaders of the city come and they beg them to leave. They beg them to just make this problem go away because they know that they have just created a problem with the Roman government. The Roman government can come into Philippi and mess with those people. Paul could have earlier, in, before he had been beaten, he could have said, wait, wait, wait. Don't you realize what you're doing? I'm a Roman citizen. He does that in another part of Acts. Why does he not do that in Philippi? He doesn't do that in Philippi because he allows himself to suffer to make a place for that church, to create a, 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 um, a gap between the leadership in Philippi and their willingness to persecute that local church. Paul goes, he allows himself to be beaten. He allows himself uncondemned to be opened up and then spend the night in jail. And then, not only that, the father then <laughs> sends him to be the one who preaches the gospel to the jailer. So by the end of this experience, when Paul finally does leave Philippi, the church is not only present because he shared the gospel, the church now has a new member, which is the jailer. So, you know, send him to jail. He'll probably just let him out. And you have the leadership of the city that realizes that you can't just mess with these Christians. Some of them are actually pretty important, including Lydia, the purple good seller, who is now a Philippian Christian. How is that God's plan? Wasn't God's plan for us to love one another, to be like healthy, fun, clean people, hanging out with other healthy, fun, clean people? Instead, God's plan for how Paul was going to love the people in that city involved him being stripped, beaten, and thrown into a prison. Why would God allow that? Well, he allowed that to happen to Jesus. This, in fact, is his plan, to show his love through us. That's why we talk about John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Son was given that those who believe won't perish, but have eternal life. You and I now fill up these sufferings. We are now the ones who get put into other people's worlds, into other people's lives. And no, you're not going to be put on a cross. You're not going to be suffering for their sin in the same way. But you are going to have to deal with their attitudes. You are going to have to deal 
with their relationships. You are going to have to deal with their betrayals. You're going to have to deal with their fears and anxieties. You're going to have to deal slowly with their anger and helping them to understand who God is calling them to be. Man, we, we try to distance ourselves from relationships because we hate to need them. We try to distance ourselves from relationships because it is so difficult to have them. And lastly, I think we try to distance ourselves from relationships because you're, you're just still wondering if that person is going to accept you. Now, I don't want to admit this. I like to pretend that I'm really, really confident. If you're a big person physically, it's hard not to pretend like you're confident. But man, aren't we always just a little bit worried about the reception we're going to get with some of the people we hang out with? I don't know. It's hard to open up your home and try to invite neighbors over because you realize, like, they may come over once to be nice, but wouldn't it be crushing if all of a sudden they never came back over? Wouldn't it be hard to be rejected? And I think we, we all should maybe wonder that from time to time. I think maybe if you don't wonder that, you're probably compensating in another place. How do I know that they will accept me? How do I know that it's worth it? If I agree with you that these relationships are so important and I start trying to make relationships in the church and outside it and, of course, with the Lord, how do I know that I'll be accepted? Well, again, look at this Christian structure. There's a reason the first command is the first command. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Then the second commandment is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Your relationship with the Lord is an acceptance that is eternal. When Jesus says that you can be forgiven, when God says in John 3:16 that he has given his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, he is describing a full and absolute change that takes place for those who believe. It says in Romans 3 and I talked about Paul having this brilliant theological mind, He's also, part of why he's so brilliant is that he's clear. He says in verse 26 of chapter 3, it was to show, the gospel was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That means that if you have accepted God through Jesus, if you have received that forgiveness, you are now made clean. We spent all summer in the Psalms. Psalm 103 talks about this in the most beautiful and brilliant of ways. It says that he separates your sin from you, us from our transgressions, as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? The point of it is supposed to be infinite. You're not supposed to try and figure out that problem. The point of it is the picture of as far away as one thing can be from another. The point of what God has done in Christ is to make a way for him to justify you. That means that you can come before him and say that you're you're a miserable person, that you're a broken person, that you're a constantly failing person. And he goes, yeah, but also you're a perfect person. How? Because you have been justified in Christ. God now sees you through the perfect obedience of Christ. Man, it... It's going to be difficult, and of course, there's going to be a lot of rejection that takes place as we encourage people to go and make new relationships all over the place. But how do you continue to put yourself out there, even when it really does hurt? you got to go back to this one most 
perfect relationship where you know that through Christ you have been finally, fully accepted. Part of the reason that we were fighting so hard to get to Nashville is we knew that once we got there, we would meet some of those people who have proved over and over again that they're going to accept us, that they really do love us. They put their name on our name. They've walked with us through a decade and more of marriage. In my case, these are my in-laws, so I've only known them since I've known Rachel. But of, of the foibles and craziness of trying to have kids, of, of coming out here to plant a church, time after time after time, they've sacrificed incredible amounts of money and time and heartache to continue to love and accept us. Part of the reason we want to fight to get there and that it's worth it once we do is we find people who really will accept us. When you find that, what you're finding is what we talked about on Christmas Eve Eve. You're finding heaven. You're finding real, full love. You're finding something that reflects through a mirror dimly the perfect relationship that we can have with God through Christ. So what do you do with today? What you do with today is remember this perfect relationship you have with the Lord. You start with that acceptance. You start with that love. And we're going to start with that love next week. And then you pass from that out and start looking around you and saying to yourself, okay, why are the relationships that I have in the state that they are? Do I have any remainder? Do I have any appetite to add new people to my plate? or to care well for the people that are already on my plate? Is it hard for me to be needed? And is it hard for me to need? Man, if you can say yes to any of that, you can find in the gospel all that you need to start making some changes and to invite into your life love. Let me pray for us. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I do ask, by your grace, that you would... Help us to see a little bit more of why we kind of close ourselves off sometimes. Why it can be difficult for us to try to have new friendships. Why it can be difficult for us to do above and beyond, Lord. When you give us somebody to care for, an opportunity to care for somebody, maybe we do actually check that box, Father. Maybe we do take care of that need. But are our hearts really given to that person in the same way that your heart is given to us? Do we really love them as we love ourselves. And of course, Father, I know that nobody in this room has ever had a moment where we can say we have really loved you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. God, please forgive us. And please change us. Today, help us to take that next step in learning what it is to really love the one who loves us to hell and back. We love you, sir. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.